Well, welcome listeners, those who might be first-time listeners and those who might be uh, reoccurring listeners who have been downloading these and following me as I've journeyed through what this will be now our 15th segment in this apologetic series. Um, and as it's been over these last several weeks, I'm just going to tackle one scripture today that I think is one that oftentimes it's... Um, it's used in a capacity that contextually it's not supposed to be used in, which is true to a lot of the ones that I've gone over. Um, however, it's not necessarily one of those like I covered last week or like I covered in some of the previous ones. It's not necessarily one that is a dangerous one in and of itself to use inappropriately. Um, and that's going to make sense in a second because I think the heart behind it can be true. However, when you decontextualize a verse... It's open to fair game as it becomes relative to however you want it to be. And that's the problem with this verse. And so it's going to be in 1 Corinthians 9, 22b. And it's a common one that's used in ministry. It's a common one that's used in tactics of the church to try to draw people in, to try to witness to them, to try to present the gospel to them. Let me, let me just state this real quick off the top before we really even get into this concept. Jesus commands those who follow him... To pick up a cross and to suffer for his name. And that's important to this concept because what we've done today in the American church is we've tried to eliminate needing to suffer for his name. So here's what we do in the church. Instead of preaching the truth of the gospel, instead of preaching that there's only one way, one truth, and one life and is found only in Jesus Christ. Instead of preaching only that God loves you. Instead of preaching... What the truth of the fullness of the text is, which would encounter us to have to suffer for his name, here's what we do. We, we offer donuts every week. We have a coffee bar. We have people to come in and we want them to feel welcome and we don't call out their sin. We want them to just feel welcomed. And we'll have the state-of-the-art you know, worship experience for you. We have state-of-the-art children's rooms for you. We have all these things that try to make an, an, an unbeliever or a believer who's not really following Jesus, we try to make them comfortable. And we try to just love on them a little bit. I don't see that in the New Testament. I, I don't see the concept of let's just cater to the worldly by using the worldly methods in order to try to reach some. What I see is men and women who just simply went around with the gospel message and they spoke a truth which required boldness. And they relied on the grace of God to do something that they couldn't do on their own. And they relied on the comfort of the Holy Spirit in the midst of their afflictions. And they went out and they were hated and they were persecuted and they went from town to town preaching the gospel and the people didn't receive them. They wiped the dust off their feet and they went to the next place. I see people who were imprisoned for the gospel. And so as I read this one, I want, I want you guys to really keep that in the forefront of your mind as we go through this. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 22b, this is the one that's going to oftentimes be used. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Now a lot of people are going to use that to say, well, if I've got a, an alcoholic that's going to a bar, then I'm going to go to that bar and I'm going to drink with them. And so what if I get a little tipsy to God be the glory? 
I'm going to drink with them so that I can present the gospel message to them. Or maybe we're going to orchestrate our churches to look entertaining and to look just like the world in order to try to reach some. I want to talk about something in a little bit called reverse polarity and it's, it's a, a syndrome that's in the church today that I, that I kind of came up with the title and I'll explain what that means in just a second. But the reality is we are trying to become like the world to reach people for God and it doesn't work that way. You don't become like the world to reach people for a holy God. You become like God in order to try to reach people from the world and pull them out of it. You don't go and become like the world. And we're going to look at the context here in just a little bit. I'm going to read chapter 9, 19 through 22. We're going to see what Paul is actually referencing here is what he talks about becoming like a certain individual or certain people group um, to try to reach them. What he did not become was like the world or like or in sin. That's what he did not become. And I'm going to use some examples of what I mean by that. Here's what he talks about in verse 19. For though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews... I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. It's an important point that I don't have time to break down. But Paul is very clearly stating that I became like I was under the law in order to reach Jews who were unbelievers. But I was not under the law. I was under the law of Christ. Because I'm in a new covenant. I'm not in the old covenant any longer. That's a whole different topic that I'm going to refrain from. We're going to keep going. He says that I might win, win those under the law. To those outside the law became as one outside the law. But very important. Listen to this. If I were to just stop it right there, I could say, let's go ahead and have our, our donuts and our cookies and our coffee and, and our state-of-the-art worship experience that we can give to people and our, our state-of-the-art online experience we can give to the people. We can have these nice buildings and we can have all the comfy chairs. We can give state-of-the-art everything. But he doesn't end it there. Here's what he says. Though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as, the, as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. He says, I still have something that governs me in my attempt to try to reach the world. There's still a standard. There's still something that I have to adhere to. And I cannot go out and try to be like the world in being worldly in my pursuits. I'm not going to go out there and I'm just going to go do everything that the world does in order to try to reach them. He says, no, I'm going to go and I'm going to try to do everything that God does. And that's going to make sense in a second when I explain that. And then he says, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. So what is he talking about? I'm going to tell you the immediate context of this. While, like I said earlier, I think that people can have a good heart motive that motivates them to want to try to witness to people and try to reach them. And they really do have a heart to try to do those things. The immediate context that Paul is referencing is a person who is under the law of Moses or a person who's like a Gentile and outside the law of Moses. That's the immediate context. He's not referencing anything else. He's not... Talking about anything else, he's simply just stating a person who is under the law of Moses, he would go and become like that person in order to have an end to preach the gospel message to them. To a Gentile, 
He might um, go to that Gentile and say, hey, you know what? I can eat pork. I can eat bacon. I'll do these things because I know that I'm not under the law of Moses, but I still know that I am under the law of Christ. I still have a standard in which has to govern me. But what's not part of that standard is eating and drinking of clean or unclean things. The Bible makes that very clear. I'm sorry if I just burst your bubble and you think you're still under the law of Moses and you need to eat, you can't eat bacon. You need to refrain from it. Well, I'm going to read you something in Romans 14 that's going to say that you are weak in faith. And I don't say that to try to slander. I don't say that to try to belittle or, or diminish your convictions on that because Romans does say anything that doesn't proceed from faith would be sin. What I'm trying to tell you is explain what Paul would do. He wasn't under the law of Moses. He didn't have to abide by the clean and the unclean foods. He makes that clear in First Timothy chapter 4 and even going into Ephesians chapter 2 and Romans 14. He makes it abundantly clear. But what he's talking about is to a Jew who was under that, I would not eat that. To a Gentile who was not under that, I would eat it. To be in fellowship with them, to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to eat this food in order to be able to witness the gospel to you. And I'm going to use an example about Timothy here in just a little bit. Actually, let's just go to it right now. Acts chapter 16, 1 through 3. Here's what he says. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. So Timothy would have been Gentile. It says he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So these Jews in those places knew that Timothy, that his dad was a Gentile, that he was a Greek. He was not of Jewish descent because his father and the blood of the loins of his father was not of Jewish descent. Therefore, Timothy was not of Jewish descent. So in order for Paul to take Timothy along with him to preach the message of the gospel to these Jews who were unbelievers, he had to circumcise Timothy. Now why is that important? Because Paul talks about that circumcision means nothing. You can be circumcised, you cannot be circumcised. It means nothing under the new covenant. So why did he do it? So that he could preach the gospel message with Timothy and not cause offense because that's the the bulk of what he's talking about here is not giving offense he's not talking about hey you know what we need to go spend thousands of dollars for the uh, an excellent worship production so that we can try to attract people in using entertainment methods i'm sorry that's not what he's talking about he's not talking about going into a bar and drinking alcohol with some guys Becoming a little tipsy, a little drunk yourself so that you can try to get an in with them to go preach the gospel. That's not what he's talking about. That's what we've made it. And I get the heart behind it. But that's not what Paul's talking about. We need to stop saying that he was. And stop using this verse to try to justify methods that are nowhere in scripture. So like I said, some believe that this passage... Speaks to becoming like the world, to reach the world. Let me, let me 
share something in First John chapter two, fifteen through seventeen. I've, I've got it mostly memorized, but just for the sake of not wanting to misinterpret this or mis, misquote it, I'm going to go ahead and read it. He says, "Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him." For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with, along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let me ask you something. The desires of the eyes, wouldn't that be a, 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 an excellent worship experience? Wouldn't that be considered entertainment? Couldn't that be a very easy connect the dots on that passage to be able to say that if we're using things that are of the eyes, a desire of the flesh, a desire of the eyes, in order to be able to attract people, that all we're doing is incorporating the concept of a love of this world in our attempt to attract people to a holy God who's distinct, utterly distinct from this world? You see, that doesn't even jive. It doesn't even make sense. But that's what we do. But 1 John 2 says that if that's you, if that's what you're doing and that's what you're taking part in, then the love of the Father is not with you. I mean, on an individual basis, just you yourself, if you're chasing things of this world and you're living, and let me just say, that's not always just bad things. I'm not saying having a guitar to lead a worship experience is a bad thing. You could even go into 1 Corinthians chapter 7 where it says that a husband's desire to please his wife or a wife's desire to please her husband, that those are worldly desires. They're not necessarily bad, but they're of this earth. They're of this world. And if that's your desire and that is ultimately what you pursue, then the love of the Father is not in you. This is a pretty big thing. Now one could argue and say, well, didn't Jesus become like us to reach us? He absolutely did. Jesus um, became flesh. That though he was in the form of God, though he was with God in the beginning, and equality was God with God was something that was there in the beginning. You know what it talks about in Philippians 2? It says that he um, made himself nothing. And as John 1.14 says, he became flesh. As Hebrews 2.17-19 says, and Hebrews 4, I believe in verse 15, it says he became like us in every single way. Yet was without sin. He never, ever became sinful, became worldly, or even used worldly methods to try to bring about converts. Did he use food? Sure. Drink? Sure. Did he go out there and, and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to go to people who, they're kind of the outcasts. Yeah. But what was his weapon? His weaponry, I should say. That's the same thing it says that's ours in Second Corinthians chapter 10. It's not of this earth. It's not of the flesh. It's divine. It's truth and the word of God. Reliance upon the Holy Spirit to give you a boldness and a courage to speak the word of God in truth and in its fullness. The whole counsel of God, as Paul put it. It's prayer. 
Let me ask you something. Instead of, instead of trying to keep up with the Joneses and all the churches that are out there that are trying to um, produce methods to reach people and draw them into their church, I even know of one church in a local area that a long time ago we actually used to go to it in a different town. Now they've done a church plant here in this area. And they used to send out postcards to all the mailboxes in that town. It was Forney, which we were actually in at the time. And we got this card in the mail and come to find out that everybody on our block got it. And it was, what would you like to see in a church? And then they encouraged them. It was a prepaid um, stamp to send it back to them. And they don't even know, if Joe Schmo, if you're a believer or not. But they're taking the opinions of the world to try to make church a place where the unchurched would like to come. And that is not Christianity. There's no business in the church for stuff like that. We seek to become like God. We pursue Him. We stop using the methods of man to try to reach man to an ungodly example. I'm going to tell you about something that I coined as the reverse polarity syndrome. And if you've got a magnet and Say you've got God on one side and you've got the world on the other side and there's this magnet in between. And we, we know that as that magnet turns, it becomes attracted to God, right? But what happens on the opposite side of that magnet? Whatever, if it's attracted to God and God is completely opposite from the world, then that means that we are repelling the world. If we want to be attracted to God and we want to be connected to God, then that means that the world is going to be repelled. But what we've done in the church today, I think I could argue maybe with good intent, but poor methodology, is we've actually reversed the polarity of where we're supposed to be and we're trying to attract the world by being like the world. But here's the problem. What does that do in our relationship with God? If I reverse the polarity and I'm trying to become like the world, I'm trying to use methods of the world to reach the world, and I'm connecting with that world, then it's repelling me from God. I think it's very similar to even the Jewish people of the nation of Israel who were God's people under the Old Covenant, that oftentimes what was the one thing that God told them to do? I want you to be set apart from the foreign nations. I don't want you to become like them. I don't want you to intermarry with them. I don't want you to, to do any of these things in which you would attract them into Israel unless they're coming to give homage and worship to the one true God. But I don't want you to be attracted to them and to be like them. You are supposed to be united to me, God says. And what did Israel do time and time and time and time again? They would try to become like the nations. And they would repel themselves from God. It's the same thing the church is doing today. Just the same song and dance. Just maybe a different number. I believe that's exactly what the church is doing today. 1 Peter 1, 13-15. I, I included 13 because I wanted you to understand that this is a battle. 
It's a war for souls, and we need to prepare ourselves for this battle to make sure we don't get sucked in by methodologies and by philosophy and by human tactics. Our job to reach people. I was, we were going to a church one time a couple years ago who used to have prayer meetings. But then they got caught up in the entertainment industry and they began to try to make the church look nicer. They began to offer the donuts. They began to do all the stuff that modern churches do. And I'm not saying it's wrong to offer donuts. And I'm not saying that it's even wrong to try to make sure that the worship that you're putting on is pleasing to the ear. But I think what we've lost today is that it's pleasing to a holy God. We care more about it being pleasing to the ears of the, of the congregants than we do of Christ. But this church, they, they began to grow in numbers. They began to increase their worship team and their worship experience. And then they got big screen and the lights and big drums and everything was now this, the ball was rolling on everything. You know what they stopped doing? They stopped doing the prayer meetings. They didn't have time. They were too busy producing their brand and marketing their band, their band and their brand. They didn't have time for the prayer meetings any longer. Let me just tell you, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 3 that we can plant and we can, we can lay down some seed and we can water. But God's the one who gives the growth. True lasting growth. I'm not talking about numbers, guys. I'm talking about souls who are disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. God is going to be the one who brings the growth. Why do we think we need man's tactics to do it? Why, why is it that we just don't go to God and plead with Him to bring the growth and not have to try to rely on ourselves to do it? And that's what we've become today. He says this in 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 13, going through 16. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, basically meaning make sure that your mind is clearly thinking and that it hasn't become drunk with this world. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you, the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, which means set apart, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. He says, in every aspect of your conduct, you need to be holy as He is holy. You need to be set apart as He is set apart. Romans 12, 1-2, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't become like the world to try to reach the world. Don't take the tactics and the methods of worldliness to try to reach worldly people. Because you know what you're going to produce? All you're going to do is produce a worldly people who don't change for the gospel. All they do is become like the method that you're using to reach them. You're producing disciples that look nothing like Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, 7-8 says this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, or you could use that word as a footnote that's often there, but also the Greek word that's used there, holiness. 
And you can go read the, the list about controlling your own body and holiness and honor and on the passion or lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And then he says this in verse 7. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. He says, I give you everything that you need for a life of godliness in my Holy Spirit. That is what you need to accomplish the task. That I need. You don't need state-of-the-art stuff. You don't need a great worship experience. You don't need something that's going to be a great online experience. You don't need to go into that bar to go drink with the people to try to reach them. You need the Holy Spirit. And you need him to work on your behalf, for the will of God. But problem is today, most people stick a hand in the Holy Spirit's face and they say, I got it. No, 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 no. I can do this on my own. Why do they do that? Because if they give Holy Spirit, if they give Him the reins, they don't get credit. Think in a way, we just call it for what it is. People want to build their church and they want to build their worship experience and they want to build all this stuff in order for them to get the glory and not God. I think that's oftentimes the culprit in my estimation. Maybe I'm wrong on that. You want to reach more people? Stop using a verse like this to mean something that it doesn't. You want to reach more people? Don't use the tactics of the world. Preach the truth. Have prayer meetings. Have Bible studies. Open up the Word of God and unpack it for people and even the unpopular stuff. I'll just talk about God's love. Talk about His wrath, even unto Christians. And you might think that that's not possible. I'm going to challenge you to study the text to show you. I'm going to show you that it is. Maybe that'll be an apologetic series that we do. Go over some verse or a topic about Christians not coming under the wrath of God. Well, I'm sorry, but that's not what the scripture says. You absolutely can. Go and evangelize. Love people, especially the body of Christ. John 14 says that's one of our biggest weapons to evangelize is how we love one another. How we seek to be perfectly one with one another. In the same way that Jesus is perfectly one with the Father, in the same way we should seek to be perfectly one with one another. Stop trying to use entertainment and sideshows. Because otherwise all you're going to do is attract people with, with worldly people, with worldly methods, and you'll get worldly results and it will not please God. Leonard Ravenhill has a quote, and I'll just end it with this. In fact, actually, um, I want to tell you, go to Romans chapter 14, 1 through 2. And go see when he talks about the very end of this passage, when he says that, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. Romans 14, 1 through 2. Go see what he says there. Go look at 1 Corinthians 8, verse 13, when Paul says, "If, if eating meat causes my brother to stumble, then I'll never eat meat. You see, Paul was willing to, as he remained under the standard of Christ, he was willing to become not an offense to other people by doing something that he knew would be offensive to them, absent of speaking the truth of God's word. That was the only reason that he would ever seek to offend somebody. 
Raven has a quote where he says, Entertainment is the devil's substitute for joy. And unfortunately, I would say in the church today, we have become a church that is an entertainment industry. And we seek to entertain the masses to death. Literally. And I'm just going to encourage, challenge, exhort, maybe even rebuke. The concept of the church today of trying to make church a place where the unchurched people would love to come. Sorry, Andy Stanley, your book is heresy. That premise is heresy. It can build a church. It can build a big church. It can build a lot of, get a whole lot of people coming in. But I can tell you, they, they're probably not going to be converts to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're probably just converts to your message and your ways of doing things. Because church is never supposed to be a place where the unchurched would love to come. Church is supposed to be a place where the Holy Spirit is welcome and God's truth is preached and believers love to come because Christ is honored. Let me just tell you, if you're seeking to, if you're truly honoring Christ, if you're truly making Him preeminent and it's all about Him and the glory of God, then the world won't want to come to your church. It's just the truth. Because you know what? The world didn't really want to come to Jesus' church when he was here on earth. You had some people here and there scattered about who were a little curious. But people didn't want to come to Jesus' church. That was, that's just the reality. Even you look at John 6.66 when it says that he preached a message that was so difficult that many of his disciples no longer followed him. They came for a time that maybe they got their bellies filled. But he was always going to preach a message that was going to turn the worldly heart away. People who wanted to remain in darkness, they don't like to stay in the light. And unfortunately, I think a lot of churches, they're not shining the light. And so the, dark, the darkness in people is comfortable. And it should never be that way. So this passage, while maybe people can have a good heart involved with it, they can look at it and they can say, it really is my heart to try to reach people. That's not the context of this passage. You don't reach people by becoming like the world. You reach people by becoming more like Christ and letting Him reach them through you. Y'all be blessed.